Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I started Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science with Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests to explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now, let's get on with the podcast. All right, today on the podcast, we are going to hear uh, not an interview that I'm conducting, but somebody else interviewing me. This is uh, a, a YouTube channel called The Sparrows Call, run by um, what have gotten to be some friends of mine, uh, John Kirkwood and Kristen Johnson, who are both people that have um, a background in, in ministry and science and are trying to reach out in similar ways, I think, to disciple science to those that have felt like something has gotten in the way of their faith, that they've been pulled away from their faith. And so they talk a lot, as you can imagine, about science and the intersection of science and faith. And they discovered Disciple Science and asked me to come on and talk about what we're doing. So I hope you enjoyed this interview of me, Dale Gentry, talking about science and faith on The Sparrow's Call. So what did you think, Dale Gentry? I just love Dale. I mean, he's so gracious and has such a kind heart and a heart um he doesn't want to wound anyone as they're going through this process yeah um I, you know there's so many kids that go off to college and they're they're in that first semester and they're shocked by the science that they had no idea that the evidence was what it what it is um and they just get so hurt and so i, I really appreciate his intentional gracious approach um, as a mentoring perspective rather than shock therapy. Yeah. One of the things about Dale, like you said, I mean, if you put yourself in a situation where let's say your own child is going through doubt or a crisis of faith and, and they're taking an airplane fight, you'd love them to sit next to Dale for three hours. You know, there's certain people you wouldn't want them to sit next to. I mean, I wouldn't want them to sit next to because I think it would make things worse. But Dale is one of those guys. Uh, Dennis Venema, Francis Collins. I mean, we've interviewed so many of them. The people we have on this show um, would all be great people to sit next to somebody who's going through a crisis of faith. But Disciple Science is going to be one of those things where people are going to share those videos or the podcasts and you're right his demeanor is most um it's very gracious and very christ-like so folks i hope you enjoy this interview today we have dr dale gentry who's a professor of biology and biochemistry at the university of northwestern in saint paul prior to his time at the university of northwestern Dr. Gentry taught courses in ecology, conservation, and field natural history for the graduate program of the Teton Science Schools in Grand Teton National Park. Dr. Gentry also started Disciple Science, a nonprofit media production company producing short videos, a podcast, and a blog exploring the intersection of science and Christian faith. He is married and has two daughters and two sons. Personal interests include cycling, soccer, Nordic skiing, bird watching, and cooking. 
Welcome, Dr. Dale. Thank you for joining us today. Well, tell us about disciple science. What, what's that all about? Yeah, so disciple science emerged out of um, just recognition uh, of the pattern of my students and some to myself, I have to admit, that when I have questions about things, I often go, you know, not as we did 20 or 30 years ago to a friend or to a book, but we just jump on the internet and I have to go to YouTube and hope that someone has created some beautiful little concise resource to help me understand whatever topic is going through my mind. And, um, you know, there are just fantastic resources out there on any field of science you could hope to study uh, in history and philosophy and everything else. And four or five years ago, I always kind of scratched my head and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if somebody talked about science from a Christian worldview? And it's uh, something that I thought was lacking. And somewhere along the way, I thought, you know, this is something that I could do. Now, I can't do the, the animation. Uh, I, I can't, I'm not a videographer or cinematographer, but I thought I can uh, convey this idea. I've been teaching science in a Christian worldview for um, 15 or so years now. And so I had this just sort of a harebrained scheme that I'll start a nonprofit to create the funding to pay some animators to help me make some engaging videos to help people see that science and Christian faith are not only just compatible, but by integrating them, I actually think we can get a, a fuller picture of who God is by knowing God through scripture and through God's creation. So that's, that's Disciple Science in a nutshell. We've uh, been out in public for about a year now, trying to make these short, engaging, animated videos that'll help people see how integrating science and faith can lead to a fuller knowledge of God. So I, I just wanna point out that uh, I'm wearing this sweater out of condolences for the two of you, uh, because <laughs> I know how cold it is in the Midwest, and I don't really actually need the sweater, but I want you to feel at home. Uh, Dale, you mentioned the inspiration on, for... What's that? I'm sorry. Uh, you Dale, you mentioned that the in inspiration for Disciple Science was uh, kind of to fill a niche that you felt was missing. How has the church either failed or lagged behind in in this dialogue between science and faith and is it unique to the american church or or the western church how, how do you see this yeah those are all good questions um i think that we have uh, failed to address it sufficiently i mean of course we failed to address it sufficiently if you look at the data um, roughly 60 percent of americans believe there is conflict between science and faith so either there is, which I don't believe to be true, or we have uh, genuinely failed in conveying that, that they are compatible. And I think that that is a rooted in, in history. You know, over the past 500 years since the scientific revolution, there have been some, some tension where what we learned from science didn't always fill right in uh, and, and compatibly fit in with our understanding of scripture or of God. And so instead of Sort of listening to each other and creating a dialogue and considering how we can come to a fuller understanding, um, people both in science and in you know, sort of theological positions have, have sort of dug in their 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 boots and d defended you know that we are the authority on all truth and anything you say uh, needs to run through us instead of seeking to you know find a clearer understanding through integrating the two. 
So uh, this is an issue that we have uh, struggled with more in the Western church than in um, other parts of the world. And there are a lot of reasons why, why that might be. I think there's something about, number one, American individualism and our tendency to think that everybody has uh, the right to define truth for themselves. Um, and I, uh, there are other aspects, more social aspects, even I know some people have pointed to the Scopes Monkey trial that took place almost you know, 95 years ago that really cemented within our culture this inherent tension between, in that case, the teaching of evolution in public schools and a rigorous Christian faith. And so I think rather than um, pastors and leaders of the church deciding to figure out how to talk about this, we have either just sort of put on the earmuffs and the blinders and we just don't talk about it at all, or we have taken this position that, uh, you know, that that science or scripture has to be the authority and sort of um, impose truth on the other instead of, again, just seeking understanding and dialogue by trying to figure out how the, how the two might be integrated. So it, it is something that I and I, sh I don't want to say the whole church has failed because there have been some fantastic people that have done a lot to um, <clears throat> to try and portray compatibility. But again, in my experience, they've done it uh, through writing really fantastic books that I love to read or really dynamic blogs. But for young people today, I just don't think they're likely to go to those sources. And what I find on YouTube just isn't covering it. So that's where we hope to fill in the gaps. But you do have a blog and a podcast with disciples <laughs> too, right? We, we do have a blog and a podcast as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, we're, we're trying to reach people where they are and some people love to read and the blog has not been our highest priority, but we are trying to put out a podcast as well. I know I love podcasts and, you know, enjoy um, uh, learning while I'm grocery shopping or mowing the lawn or whatever. I mean, we fit things into our busy schedules. And so, yeah, I think that we're, we, uh, we feel like our, primary product is our animated videos, but we are trying to reach people in whatever format is most meaningful to them. So the, the blog and the podcast exists, but we're putting most of our energy into, into the, our, our YouTube channel. Uh, Dale, correct me if I'm wrong, but your background, I don't think, um, was Young Earth Creation. I don't think you had, is that right? I don't think you had that friction between faith and science growing up. Oh. I actually, I, I think I, I did. I, you did. I, I was okay. raised in a fairly mainline church, but it was in a very conservative part of the country. I grew up in southern Idaho. And in hindsight, I was, I was actually shocked in my adulthood to realize that the American Baptist Church, which is what I grew up in, is considered mainline because I felt like my upbringing, not, not really through my parents, but more in my church community, was, was pretty conservative. And so in my youth... Um, I badly wanted young earth creationism to be the truth. I just assumed that it was true. I, you know, the Bible is true. I trust that the Bible at, at that time, I thought clearly teaches this young earth creationist perspective. So I badly wanted young earth creationism to be true. And I just assumed that it was, and it wasn't until uh, my university education, I started being exposed to evidence for an older earth and evidence for natural selection and evolution and my own interest in ecology, which is in some way testing natural selection with every question we answer, that I come to see that that 
Um, taking the Bible seriously doesn't have to mean taking the Bible literally. And so I, uh, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, a process. I did sort of deconstruct the faith of my youth and had a period where my faith was kind of in tatters. And then I eventually, by God's grace, put it back together. And I now see where rigorous, good science and a high view of scripture are fully compatible. And so I think it's partly just my own experience of wrestling okay. with that, but also seeing my students. Um, you know, I teach at a Christian mm -hmm. university where we are trying to tell them that science and faith are compatible. And yet they still, when they're presented with science, the, you know, the science that they encounter at a university level, they, they just don't have a framework for how to put those things in. So many of them come from a young earth background and, and they, they struggle. And so I, again, I wanna, <clears throat> I've been mentoring them through this in my office for years. And so I thought maybe I can make some videos that will help people on a larger scale. Well, after your, Humpty Dumpty experience where your, your, your faith was train wrecked. Uh, who or what helped you begin to piece, piece it back together or to transform, uh, re, to rebuild your faith? And yeah, I, uh, does that formula work for everyone and with your students who are deconstructing or do you find it to be more of a personal journey? Yeah, for me, it was more of a personal journey. Um, partly just that I didn't have uh, a mentor to guide me through this process. Um, I, I, you know, I, I had about a decade of my life, roughly in my, in my 20s, where I just didn't take my faith very seriously. I, I went to a church a couple of times. I was moving all over the country, pursuing my master's and PhD and postdoc and whatnot. I went to a couple churches and they were not helpful, more the opposite direction. We actually tried to start at one point a Sunday school discussion of science and faith. And the church that I was going to at the time when I was getting my master's came in and said, you can't have this Sunday school class. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not in line with Christian doctrine or something. And so it, it, I just hit these roadblocks. So I, I, I had a, a, a sense roughly when I turned 30 that that I needed to rediscover my faith, partly just through personal failings. My my life wasn't you know panning out the way I was. Relationships were failing, and I just I, I kind of hit this low point, and that caused me to sit back and reflect on my life. And I realized that this thing that used to be the most important thing in my life for the first twenty years of it was just hardly present at all. I wasn't reading my Bible, going to church, didn't have a Christian community at all, um, but also had a pretty uh, pretty convinced that science, well, the, the science around origins and whatnot was pretty legitimate. And so I, I, I did, I guess, what every good um, graduate student does. I, I dug into the literature. So I started reading books and papers. And um, there were a few books that were helpful to me. The first one I read, oh gosh, I, um, uh, the name is, is skipping me now. It's Finding Darwin's God by... Um, What's his name? The professor at Brown. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, and he talked about, and he's actually a Catholic, but he talked about integrating um, uh, evolutionary science with his faith. And that was helpful just to see like, oh, there are people that are doing this. And then what I was really interested in was how to integrate it with scripture, because I did have that background and a really high view of scripture. And that's when I discovered Billy Graham and John Stott and N.T. Wright and all of these theologians that I held in very high regard that saw evolutionary science to be fully compatible with their sense of 
uh, of scripture and a, and a high view of scripture. And, and that is what really gave me peace. And I was able to put this back together. I have a mentor. I just, I feel like it was just the grace of God that I was able to um, put the pieces back together again, as, as you, as you suggested in a way that, that brought me through. And again, I didn't have a mentor. I wish I had, and I'm hoping that through these disciple science videos, through Sparrow's call, through through what you and other people are doing, BioLogos, lots of other fantastic organizations, we can be that online mentor if young people aren't finding that through their church community to help them see that science doesn't need to push you away from God. Yeah, I think you were looking for Kenneth Miller, right? Finding yeah, Ken, the God. Ken Miller. That's it. Yep, that's Ken Miller who wrote um, Finding Darwin's God. That was that was a, a good help. Um, yeah, again, I could I could. There are a bunch of fantastic books on this. I wasn't. I mean, the science wasn't a problem for me. I was trying to figure out how to read scripture uh, in a way that was compatible with science. And so I spent most of my time in theology books because the science wasn't a problem for me. Um, and and that, that's where I found the greatest help was from um, some of these great theologians that helped me see, uh, gosh, uh, John Wal or, uh, yeah, John Walton was a tremendous help. When I read The Lost World of Genesis 1, whenever that was, you know, 11 or 12 years ago for the first time, it just, it, I felt a burden lift off of me that I that, that I, I enjoyed scripture so much more than I had because I wasn't wrecking my brain trying to fit these things together. And he showed that these questions that we're wrestling with about when God created and how God created, that's just not what those passages of scripture are all about. And um, it just, it, it, it brought the joy into scripture. Um, I'm going to step aside and let Christine jump back in, but um, I'm, I'm for a moment going to speak for the other side that's listening. And they've heard mm -hmm. that your story changed when you went to university. And a typical remark from the Young Earth Creation side is that's what happens. That, that's when compromise mm -hmm. takes place. And um, yep. you're brainwashed by those secular scientists um secular scientists at the university yeah. uh and in in their understanding um you didn't really have a firm enough foundation you you weren't really taught young earth creation well yeah. from the other side of the same coin is the um hostile atheist who says well here you go you christians every time science proves your bible wrong you have to come up with some new scenario like John Walton's Lost World and how to read it correctly. How do you respond to those two critiques? No, I think that those are very fair questions. Uh, the assumption of, um, of conflict between science and faith is, is held by the two extreme positions. The, the atheistic position that says that science is disproving the Bible and the young earth view that says that the Bible needs to trump science or we can only understand science through the framework of the bible um and again i and maybe it was just my personality but I, I i just i i believed this that if god is the creator of the universe that a close examination of the universe through science which is our best tool to do so should bring us into a clearer sense of who god is and so that framework of conflict just didn't resonate with my understanding of God as the creator and sustainer of the universe with the passages in scripture that say that God is glorified and can be known through what has been created. 
Um, so I, I understand those, those arguments, but I just find them not to, to hold water. Um, uh, so I, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer, but um, I, I, I think uh, an honest engagement with the scriptures will, will, will show that they are full of delightful uh, theology and knowledge and wisdom and insight, and they can, in, you know, lead us into a relationship with God and give us the story of Jesus, but they just weren't intended to teach us history. They were, they were um, portrayed to us through an ancient understanding, and that is just the way God wanted it to be. Um, there are times in which I wish he would have just revealed things in a way that everybody could understand them the same, but I just don't think that if we understood them, the original audience wouldn't have been able to make sense of them. So uh, I, I've come to embrace the scriptures as they are instead of trying to turning, turn them into something that I want them to be. So um, I know that your biology department at the University of Northwestern teaches evolution and the full range of modern science. Um, how about the theology department? Are you guys in sync together? Do you have... Um, the theology department teaching the kids too how to integrate these topics or at least um, giving them options on how to read scripture in a way that's compatible? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I would say, uh, you know, our biology department teaches the science and we talk about the some of the tensions. And within our department, there are people that hold different perspectives. And some of us advocate more strongly for certain perspectives than others. I actually don't say, you know, this is what you need to believe and this is what, where the evidence points. I try and help people understand um, uh, why I believe what I do and where I think the evidence points, but without sort of compelling them that this, is the, this or that is the right view, even though I will tell them that if, I, if they ask. Uh, our Bible department kind of does the same thing. There are people within our department that have... Um, I don't know how many uh, people with a young earth view still persist, but I know there's resistance to evolution within certain corners of the university. And what we try and do, and I think we do a decent job of, is, is having dialogue with grace and helping people understand this is why I believe what I believe. This is, I want to understand why you believe what you believe about scripture and about the scientific evidence and most of the time that works out pretty well, that we can hold those tensions with grace. I have delightful friendships and relationships with people on whom I don't agree on the story of when and how God created. And I think that's an important thing to model both for our students um, and for the church and that we don't have to get to loggerheads and, and um, force conflict enforce uh, disunity within the church over these issues. I, I prefer to model um, how, to, how to talk about it uh, with, with grace and do more listening than, than teaching um, in hopes that that will create opportunities for honest dialogue. And I think that's the, actually the best pathway forward to helping people come to uh, a clear sense of, of what, I, what I, I think and what I hope is the truth of, of, uh, of God using evolution to to create the world. That sounds good. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna throw this out there. How about Bethel? I mean, they're across the road. Are, do you know what's going on there? Do they have a similar um, method or process? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that they, 
um, would would say that they have a fairly similar method from what I understand. I, I know that there are um, uh, people at each university, both in the, in the Bible department and the science department, that sort of hold each view. I, I think that I think that Northwestern ends up being a little bit more conservative. I think there are a few individuals that are a little bit more outspoken, uh, thinking that uh, you know the Bible should be more authoritative over scientific interpretations than at Bethel. But I, I don't know enough about the details of what's going on at Bethel to be able to say that with uh, with much confidence. So. Um, so what kind of feedback have you been getting on your disciple science videos, um, at, you know, blog or podcast too? Uh, sure. And ha do you have feedback on that's driving you toward your next types of videos or next topics to cover? Yeah, you know, I think the feedback has been really positive thus far, uh, which is encouraging. I know a lot of people have said they appreciate that we are not um, taking a dogmatic position and trying to, you know, crush crush the other perspective and show why they are uniformly wrong. I, I'm, we're, and partly is this just my personality, but I also think the best approach to seeking truth and unity is doing so with a tone of of grace and humility. And so I think many people have appreciated that. I also think that it's it it also makes it harder for us to be found because. We're not putting out a lot of, of you know, uh, a sort of clickbait and and hear us destroy the young earth per, uh, perspective, that sort of thing. I'm trying to convey what I think is truth through uh, an angle that will be something that can be listened to with a, a, a soft heart by anybody. That's my goal. Um, but I heard people appreciate that. And what I'm hoping is that these videos then could be good conversation starters for uh, Sunday school groups or, or youth groups or small group Bible studies. Um, and so I, I have, we are working on some curriculum, some Sunday school type curriculum, some discussion pages that can be um, used to you know, uh, use these videos in that sort of format. And so um, that's been that's been really encouraging. Uh, I was actually contacted a week or two ago by the Brazilian Association for Science and Christianity, and they've asked if they can work with us to translate our videos into Portuguese and have a, a video for disciple science in Portuguese. And so I'm really encouraged by that. So yeah, we're really seeing some some growth in our in our views and. Um, so we're taking that, but also recognizing that, that people are like saying, yes, but what about this? But what about this? And so those videos are coming. We're going to address Genesis a little bit more explicitly. We're going to address some of the scientific evidence for origins a little more explicitly. I also really want to think uh, more holistically about how our, the, the tension paradigm uh, for science and faith affects us beyond our understanding of Genesis and origins, but also I think puts distance between Christians and God's creation. And I think um, some of the, the uh, questions about the reliability of climate science and whether Christians should be taking care of God's creation can be traced back into the historical uh, conflict between science and faith. And so we want to address that as well and be a resource that will help people not just make sense out of Genesis, but also um, be a, a resource for just being able to reflect on God's creation from a Christian worldview, being able to see God in nature uh, instead of 
sort of putting the, the science and their, their faith in these two different silos that don't interact. And so we're, um, we certainly are going to be continuing to address the origins debate, but that's not the only topic that we want to dig into. Do you have any plans for like homeschool curriculum? I hear that with COVID this year, homeschooling is doubling. Um, and I know that you guys get a lot of homeschool students that go to your university. Um, probably mm -hmm. one of the first choices for, for students in this area. Um, and my anecdotal experience is that when families choose to homeschool, they have really noble reasons for doing so and they desire to teach their their family, their children um, in godly ways, and they choose Christian curriculum for that expl explicit reason, right? They want to teach their children um, and they don't consider the science at the time when they first start. Like that's little kids when they start science, it's things like, you know, looking at acorns and, if something floats or finding bugs, you know, it's things like that. And, and they kind of, because they choose a Christian curriculum based on other factors, end up in a younger creation perspective, not because they evaluated it, but just kind of happened. Um, and, and there's not a ton of young of Christian curriculum that really has quality science for younger kids. Have you ever thought about kind of poking into that niche a little bit? We have very much, yeah, thanks for asking that. Uh, that is um, uh, a, a dream of mine, a goal of mine that we would be able to put together some curriculum. I think that would be a few years out. Uh, we need to, you know, I think right now we're just trying to grow an audience and get a supporter base so that we can continue to produce these videos uh, sustainably, financially sustainably. And I think once we hit that point, I, I, I really would love to create some curriculum that could be used for um, high school students would be a good start. But I, I really think we need to um, create curriculum actually for younger students, middle school students and, and early yeah, younger age grade school students, because I think what's my big picture criticism of a lot of the um, homeschool curriculum is that and, and actually a lot of the tension between science and faith overall is that we root our understanding of God in what is mysterious. And so when we talk about God's involvement in creation, it's looking for things that science can't understand and explain. And then what science can't understand and explain, we just sort of talk about it in naturalistic terms and we don't talk about God being involved in those processes. And what I would love to do is to create a curriculum for homeschool, but also just for consumption on, on YouTube or, or wherever that would help people see God in the processes, God in evolution, God in the physics and the chemistry. Because when my students wrestle with evolution, the question I always get is, where is God in this process? And that reveals to me that they just can't conceive of God's involvement in what science can explain. And I think that that is at the deepest heart of the tension between science and Christian faith. That over the past 500 years, sorry, this is kind of a, a big answer to a short question, do you want to do curriculum? Over the past 500 years, as science has explained more and more, we have found less and less a role for God 
And that is just, a, a, it's a mess of theology that we see God only in what is mysterious instead of what science can explain. And I think if we can cre um, create those pathways early in life, uh, then we can help students to see God's presence in what science can make sense out of. And I think that is the, in my opinion, best pathway forward to helping uh, ease the tension between science and faith. I love that. Do you think that that's kind of the root for why so many Christian apologists are anti-evolution? Do you think it's, they're tied together? I know we have a conference coming here in a few weeks and the highlight speakers um, will make claims um, that we need to inoculate our youth against evolution, that, that we must choose between either God created or, or, or it evolved. Um, that those are not compatible ideas. Is is that part of yeah. it? This for God in the mystery, only in the mystery? I, I, I do, yeah. I think the modern intelligent design movement, and you know, I should clarify, and maybe all people are comfortable with this, but I believe in an intelligent designer, and I believe there is intelligent design in the universe and in biology and in the world. But most of the intelligent design movement is looking for things that science can't explain and saying that is how we point to God. You know, here's this bacterial flagellum or the fine tuning of the universe. Science can't make sense out of that. So that's what we're going to hold on to and embrace as evidence for God. But if we look back into scripture, I don't think it's telling us to look to creation to try and prove the existence of God. I think it's wanting us to encounter God through what has been created as we come to understanding of the physical structure of the universe and the story of the history of life and those sorts of questions. And so I, I do, I mean, I, I, I am um, not a big supporter of the modern intelligent design movement because it's basically doubling down on the ideas of William Paley from 200 years ago that God is in the mysterious and that that's where, you know, Christians should look to find evidence for God as just things that science can't explain. Now, not to say that there aren't things that science will never be able to explain, that that is where God is present, but it's, I think we're digging our own grave if that's where we put all of our effort is trying to find, trying to explain God through what is mysterious because as more and more is explained by science, then God is less and less present in our day-to-day -day lives. And that is creating that gulf between knowing God on Sunday morning and encountering God through scripture and the rest of our life in which I don't see miracles every day, but when I understand God's presence in photosynthesis and in the sun rising and the sun setting and in all of the, the systems that are present in my body, then I have an encounter with God every single day. That's the message that I don't hear from um, from the proponents of, of, of trying to integrate science and Christian faith. Well, since we broached the subject of intelligent design, uh, I would like to um, offer our viewers a glimpse of one of your latest videos, Dale, and then maybe have you Ooh. comment on it in, in just a moment. So this um, is one of the latest videos from Disciple Science. It's called Easing the Tension. We'll, we'll, we'll watch about the first minute or so. Okay. 
Among the greatest sources of tension between science and faith is the idea that scientific explanations leave no room for God. This is prominently displayed when Christian scientists search for divine action in nature. They present God at the boundaries of our understandings. What caused the universe? How could life come from non-life? Why does the cosmos work like it does? And how could life get so complex without a designer? While these may be logical and fruitful places to look for supernatural activity, this specific emphasis exposes our discomfort with God's role in the better understood aspects of nature. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, renowned German theologian, warned us against this approach, writing, how wrong is it to use God as a stopgap for the incompleteness of our knowledge? If in fact the frontiers of knowledge are being pushed further and further back, then God is being pushed back with them and is therefore continually in retreat. We are to find God in what we know, not in what we don't know. If we look for God only in the mysterious, then we're guaranteed not to hold sacred what is familiar. Instead, Psalm 104 is a Easing the tension. So Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a critic of modern intelligent design. You want to talk about that quote for a second? I think it's so, such a powerful quote. I, I agree. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that, that, you know, modern intelligent design didn't exist in its current form. There was no discovery Institute a hundred years ago, but I think that's what he was pointing towards and saying, if we are looking for God only in what is mysterious, we're going to find less and less a role for God as science explains more and more. And that's rooted not only in sort of a, a desire to find a place for God, but I think what scripture is telling us that if we read Psalm 104, or if we read actually just a, a critical account of the entire Bible, the message it's trying to convey to us is that God is present in all of these systems that God put together that God can be found in what science is explaining, that God is in photosynthesis and God is in the physics and God is in the natural selection, and that these are the systems that God put in place. And that's where we need to find our harmony, not by allowing science to do its thing and finding gaps for God to fill uh, and, and putting it together that way. I, I, for me, that's just so problematic. It doesn't, uh, it, it, it just puts distance between me and God. It, 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 it makes God um, absent in my day-to-day -day life in which I can explain most of what's going on around me. If I'm only finding God in the mystery and I'm not experiencing miracles in my life, then, then where is God? Um, so I, I think that the intelligent design movement is doubling down on a problem and making it worse rather than making it better. And I, again, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to cause tension and conflict between the Christians that see that as a, as a, a way to encounter God or evidence for God. I'm comfortable with it as evidence for God, but we're not seeking to prove God. We're seeking to have a relationship with God. And so God can't be only mysterious. Yeah, I think that's really good. It reminds me of the verse in him when live and move and have our being and god is mm -hmm. right here with us not apart 
I think, though, your earlier critique of modern apologetics, Christine, holds. I, I think a lot of modern apologetics is under the mistaken, the philosophical mistaken idea that you can prove God. And when, when you get into that corner of the arena, then you leave very little room for, for faith or mystery or imagination. And so you find very little of that in modern apologetics, you, you find a real kind of a grinding fight against this idea that we, we do see through a glass darkly. I was pleased to see Alistair McGrath admit to that in his latest book. Um, but that, that's the minority view in modern apologetics. I, I, and I, I struggle with that because I, uh, if you look at young earth creation and, and I don't want to be demeaning, but at some point, you see, um, if young earth creation has this kind of, um, you know, big red nose and floppy feet, um, the intelligent design movement is in a three piece suit. In other words, it's, it seems to be a place where Christians can feign intelligence and the acceptance of some modern science. And yet the same mechanics go into it, which is an anti-evolutionary approach and really really this buying into this idea of a conspiracy theory of, of, of secular science or modern science as kind of an enemy toward the truth. Um, how much of, of your thought in, in your future videos and your blog posts, Dale, have to do with creation science as a whole and not necessarily just, you know, young earth, um, but creation science as a whole, the idea that you can take a concordist view of Genesis that God communicated science in the Bible. Yeah. Well, that's um, what not the, the last video we just saw was the most recent video that came out. But the one that came out before that uh, addresses the story of Copernicus and Galileo. And that's going to be the, the video that will launch two or three more videos that, that are addressing that idea of how to best read scripture. Right now, I, I come from a fairly evangelical background. I'm, I'm evangelical uh, theologically. And so I, I take scripture really seriously. And I, that means I really want to get it right. And I think that that's the conclusion I've come to is that, is that in, in order to read it well, we have to stop looking for these hidden scientific messages that are embedded in scripture. So we are going to be addressing those issues. And again, I, I think there's fantastic science out there on YouTube. So I don't plan to rehash all of that. I'm more interested in helping people understand why the concordist view, for example, is, I think, the wrong approach. Helping people understand the theology behind that, things like presuppositional apologetics, which sounds like kind of a messy word salad, but it's this idea that, well, you just can't understand any science unless you... Uh, take it through the view of a literal interpretation of scripture. And that, that just doesn't work for me. I don't think it holds water. Um, so we are going to be doing that. But again, what, we're also going to be launching um, in the, the winter. Um, we're, we're trying to rediscover natural theology and distance ourselves from, as you were just saying, this idea that we're out to prove God with science and instead science in its knowledge and understanding of the physical structure and, and function of the universe 
reveal about who God is and, and use what I think scripture is telling us to do, the, some of the, the awe and wonder and beauty and some of the mystery within creation pointing us to God, drawing us into our relationship with God and, and, and using it to um, heal the, the relationship between Christians and God's creation. So we, yeah, we have kind of a lot planned, but... Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Copernicus and Galileo, and you, your demeanor is very um, loving and calm. And that's one of the things I think Christine would say uh, about some of the people on the other side of the argument. They're so adamant mm -hmm. and sometimes even coarse in, in making the arguments. In other words, uh, as, as Dr. Jerry Root is fond of saying, it's, it's my way my, or my way is Yahweh. You know, either you interpret <laughs> things my way or you're just some kind of heretic who should be stoned. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so let me ask you this, though. I, I, yes, there's room at, at the Lord's table for people who even believe that the earth is flat and that there is a firm yep. dome overhead, um, which, believe it or not, I know some people who believe that because they take an absolute literal position on Genesis. However, at some point, those views become an immense obstacle to the, to the gospel to some people. In other words... With Copernicus and Galileo, uh, Christians could have lived for, for uh, centuries not knowing the truth about heliocentricity or geocentricity, and it wouldn't have affected them at all. They could have died happy, and it didn't affect their faith, their family relationships, their relationships with their unbelieving neighbors. But at some point after the world kind of settled... <laughs> on the fact that the earth wasn't the center of the universe and, and everything, uh, you, you know, uh, orbited the earth. At some point, that becomes a massive obstacle in presenting the gospel to people. Yep. Are we there with evolution? Are we in the same place with, uh, with nat natural selection, evolutionary biology, and, and are in other words, do we have egg on our face right now? I mean, it, yes, it's possible to live and die happy believing the earth is 6,000 years old and T-Rex bunked on yeah. the ark with Noah. But if I share that with my unbelieving neighbor and he rolls his eyes and walks away, haven't I lost an opportunity for the Lord? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think our, our our witness is at stake, both as as rational people, I think that Christianity is completely rational, but if we think that we have to believe in a 6,000 year old earth or a flat earth or, uh, you know, geocentrism, then, then we lose our ability to say that we're rational in my opinion. And I hope that's not too controversial in saying so. Um, so we, we lose our ability to say that Christianity is rational, but we also, we're asking people to make leaps of, of intellect or, or basically put their intellect behind them and, uh, and in, order to, in order to follow Jesus, which is just asking for problems. Uh, and, I, and I know individuals uh, in my personal circle of friendships and others that I am more aware of for whom, you know, Christianity sounds interesting, but don't I have to believe this position that just is completely incompatible with everything I understand to be. Um, and so, yes, it, so I, I want to be gracious and I want to be um, humble 
because I think that is the greatest opportunity to actually have a conversation with hope, with people that hold these positions, not because I'm open to, you know, uh, a, a position that just doesn't hold water. So I, I truly believe, uh, and part of this is from um, wrestling with my, I shouldn't say wrestling with my students, but talking about this with my students for the past 10 years, that if I come in on the first day of class and I say, all right, uh, evolution is the only reasonable way to interpret the scientific evidence and the scripture is not here to teach us science, they are going to ignore everything I say for the next four months. But if I um, gain their trust and if they see my heart for Christ and they see that I have a high view of scripture and if I am willing to listen to their position instead of just tell them why mine is, wrong, is right, then I think we, we create dialogue, we create um, relationship and those are where people change, not just um, indoctrination, not from preaching, not from um, me saying my PhD trumps whatever you believe or something along those lines. I think that relationship and listening as much as teaching are the pathways to changing people's hearts and changing people's minds. So you've talked a little bit about evolution being the most sense out of the data. Uh, give us some of that information. What what compels you to conclude evolution is the best explanation, um, better than say a common designer? Yep, um, uh, it's, a, it's a good questions, and I think that some of that uh, in in answering it, I want to explain uh, how science works, and this is something that I think there's a lot of mystery around. Um, science works through a process, philosophically we call it inference to the best explanation. And this is something that we've done a poor job of, of teaching people. We teach that science is a collection of facts and that we just take those facts and see how they fit together. But um, science is a, is, a uh, is a process of making meaning out of observations. So when I look at the uh, evidence from astronomy and the antiquity of the universe, when I look at the stratification of the fossil record, and when I look at the DNA and the conclusions we can make about, you know, relatedness, uh, when we put those two together, we say, what are the what are the best explanations? And and at least for me, I find that the the ability of natural selection to explain. Uh, our modern understanding of, of organisms and how they interact with each other, which is how the science of ecology works, is constantly testing natural selection. Uh, and I see the, the, the patterns that we, of, of, of layering uh, in geology and in paleontology, and that when we look, you know, if there's a young earth, there's got to be some uh, some human remains or some clay pots or some foundations down there in the Precambrian layers. We just aren't finding those. You know, I think the, you asked about a, a common designer and that's a, that's a possible explanation, but it's one that requires us to basically ignore the evidence for relatedness. Um, Right, they said when when species look related, just dismiss that they aren't really related. God just designed them to give that appearance, and you know I would ask, well, why why would He do that? Again, it's it's rooted in the same problem we talked about before. It's assuming that God only acts through miracles, and in order for God to be present in these processes, then um, then it's got to be mysterious. But when I read Scripture, I see the message that God 
wants to accomplish his purposes through what he has created. So he wants, he wants to accomplish his purposes through humans and through natural processes, and he is involved in both of them. And so I don't, if, I think if you don't just default to God being mysterious, then the most logical explanation, in my opinion, is that God used evolution to create all of these beings. Why do you think there's such a, um, you, you mentioned the Scopes Monkey Trial, Doctor, but, you, you know, as somebody who was on the other side of evolution for a long time, who saw it as kind of equivalent to godlessness or atheism, who saw it as kind of the foundation for like all the evil that happens in the world, from abortion to the Holocaust to all these other things. All this got confounded and mixed up in what was my evangelical upbringing. Um, and at some point, you know, a lot of this information that you're sharing was thrown at me and none of it, I, I was impervious to it all. It wasn't my kryptonite because I don't think I was looking for information. Um, I, I think my view at the time was an emotional and a volitional view and not an intellectual view. How, in your experience, do we reach beyond that? And how, how maybe can we enlighten other apologists who are feeding information in one ear and out the other when the person actually isn't looking for information? But, and it comes to this question about what you said, that God is still the agent of creation, evolution, his mechanism. There seems to be a disconnect with that um, on the receiving end from somebody who used to hold the position that I did. That, that, that doesn't seem to be an option. And if you listen to the, the Discovery Institute, they don't make room for that option uh, right. and, and other critics of evolution. So I know I threw a lot at you, but do your best to field all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a great question because I, I think that you really hit on something there that's very important in that we don't always use uh, ration, uh, uh, rational reasoning and evidence to draw our conclusions. Right? Our conclusions are often decisions we make in our gut. And I'm not a psychologist or sociologist, but I think that's the, the evidence that's become overwhelming that when we have, for example, strong feelings about, about morality or about truth, then we are willing to interpret evidence through that framework and believe almost anything, right? As, as your, your friends that believe, believe in, a, in a flat earth are willing to do that. So I, I believe that scripture must be comprehensively inerrant in order for any of it to be true. So I'm willing to let my emotional connection to that idea guide my intellect. Um, Honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there is a good solution to that, in, except that, in my experience, that, um, that emotional, um, heartfelt connection to a certain perspective will not be changed in one conversation. It has to be something that, that comes about over time, as it did for you, and as it did for me, and as it does for many of my students. I, I teach a... Uh, first year class to uh, biology majors in which we spend about two months going through uh, evolution and the origins debate. And I don't really see many people change their perspective in that uh, one class. Sorry, my, my kids are chatting outside the door. Um, you might be able to hear them. 
I don't see many, many students um, changing their belief system within that one semester. But I frequently see students throughout their four years come back and say, you know, what we talked about in that class broke down a few barriers and assumptions that I had about the way scripture works or about the way God works or about the way what science can, can teach me. And that it's, it's just a process. So these things that we hold to really tightly, emotionally, are just not going to fall in, in one sermon or one video or, or one conversation. I think it's, it, it's something that has to sort of be slowly um, worked on through, through prayer and reflection and, and discussion and relationships. Um, and so that, I think that's both good news, but it's, it also means don't dis get discouraged if people aren't open to these um, conversations at first. I think yeah. given time that those, you know, little nuggets of truth yeah. might uh, eat at them or, yeah. or they might come back to them at some point in the future and, and uh, open uh, a door that we might Of course, the real around. danger here, doctor, is when when and if somebody does deconstruct, when and if somebody does have that biology course or New yeah. Testament textual criticism course and their house of cards fails. Right. They, they, there's a tendency to look for the truth. And when they find right. out that there's a lot of YouTube atheists that are closer to the truth scientifically than there are Christian apologists, now they have this gravitational pull toward, I guess, Ken Ham was right. I'm I'm either a young earth creationist or I don't believe any of this. And so now we have a new case where we're not just trying to talk to a brother about maybe origins, but now we're talking about that brother leaving and uh, yeah. believing that he must leave, that he's that he's got no other yeah. choice because if truth is important to him, he's got to follow it. And there's only one road and it's away from the yeah. father's table. So this is a whole, this is where biologos and disciple science come in. Because like you said, when you went through this, you didn't have that. Yeah. You, yeah. you didn't yeah. have, uh, you know, Francis Collins and the language of God and a disciple science video. Somebody could share with you. And so I'm grateful for all these ministries. Um, but that that's the challenge that uh, when people look around right now, they see the Christian church, um, at least in America, in a lot of ways saying, don't wear a mask. Um, climate science is a hoax. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, evolution is evil. And so right. that is tied up or or even, you know, Christianity is Republican and, you know, and so we have a whole generation of kids who are looking at that and and it's off putting to them. And what yep. Yep. what do you yeah, no, I think suggest in lieu of of that conundrum? Yeah, no, that's a that's so that's such an important question. And uh this is this is the core of why I created Disciple Science, not because I want people to get the origins question right but because I want to heal that divide between science and Christianity, that we are going to just assume that scientists are, are bad people or they're, they're atheists or they're trying to distract me from Instead of that being the default position, coming to generally trust science. Uh, you know, I, I, I do do some, some research on natural selection and evolutionary backgrounds, but my, 
my the core of my training is as a conservation biologist and i want um christians to see the calling in scripture to take care of god's creation and to take care of each other um, seriously and and see and be open to the evidence that this is something that we have not done well and need to take uh with a pay a little bit more attention to in the future so again my heart is is in that it's not it's not in origins it's in healing the divide between christians and science and between christians and knowing god through creation uh you know doing that backdoor because i think that the origins debate is often what we have to figure out first once they make pace once they make peace with the idea that that evolution isn't going to cause them to lose their faith then maybe they'll open up to the idea that climate science can be trusted as well and that the scientists telling us to wear masks can be trusted as well and that the all the walls that we've put up between ourselves and the phds and the ivory towers around the world some of those can come down we still have to hold up our guard against the dawkins in the world that are going to tell us that science is disproving christianity um so i think i don't think we'll ever lose the 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 need to read critically the metaphysical conclusions that are put into sometimes the scientific explanations from the likes of Dawkins and others, but that overall I, we can trust I, that a critical I hate to defend Richard Dawkins, but in a sense, isn't he telling the truth when he says science is disproving Christianity when the Christianity he's talking about yeah. is well, creation yeah, science? I, is creation science? It, it, yeah. it is. So I think that um, Richard Dawkins has the same views of scripture that yeah. do the young creationists, that it can only be read through a, a comprehensive inerrancy. Um, and in my experience, the, the new atheists, the Dawkins and Harris and Dennett and whatnot, they, they aren't engaging with the scholarship they aren't they aren't taking an they're not talking to bible scholars they're uh, refuting the views of the young earth creationists so i i i know where you're coming from that yet if if that view that the young earth creationists have is the only valid way to read the bible then i guess you could argue that maybe science is disproving that and we've got the history of geocentrism and the age of the earth and evolution and all these other places where um the conclusions that came from an inerrantist view of scripture, or at least a comprehensively inerrant view of scripture have fallen. But I don't think we need to, as I'm sure you don't either, we don't need to then have to choose, right? This is a, a clearest example of a false dichotomy of either scripture is true com comprehensively or science can be trusted. That's, that's, that is the framing that we've been sold by some pastors and certain scientists we need to dismiss these false dichotomies of i have to choose between creation or evolution i have to choose between uh focusing on heaven or thinking about earth i have to choose between uh you know taking care of my neighbor or taking care of creation those are all false dichotomies that need to be part of the ancient past so that we can uh, engage with science as wholehearted christians I think that's one of your greatest challenges and biologos yeah. and voices in yeah. the wilderness and the sparrows call. And that is to be heard over the yelling in the room. And to be honest <laughs> yeah, with yeah. you, the gatekeepers of Christianity are really good at shouting down atheists 
and sh and and using word like heretics and compromisers towards any other yeah. Christians who um, might not hold uh, their view of inerrancy or of origins. So uh, yeah. again, we're kind of fighting a war on two fronts. I hate to say use a combat. No, I think we are uh, kind of a role. I think we are. We're at least being attacked on two fronts. So um, we are. But we are. Christine. Sure. Um, so suppose you attend a church and the youth leaders and pastors uh, have been steeped in this conflict model and, um, and their initial tendency, at least, is to continue to promote this kind of a conflict model that we must choose between these two dichotomies, these two um, possibilities. What advice would you give to, to a church that that has that situation? How would you um, encourage the youth pastor and leaders to maybe have a more broad approach or explore um, different perspectives that Christians hold or, yeah. um, you know, not, not leave the kids stuck with having to pick between the two? Yep. No, that's a great question. So there, are, I have two responses to that. The first is to take a critical look at the, um, how has that approach worked, right? Uh, if we look at this idea that, that the only solution to this tension is just to double down on only read the Bible, don't trust the scientist, basically don't go into science, don't study science, uh, go to those her heretical Christian colleges that are open to the idea that God works through evolution, um, if you follow that pathway, um, you, you know, those students have access to the internet, they're going to encounter those ideas at some point. So I, I think this idea of, of having of a culture war and putting up walls and just don't, don't expose them to those ideas is destined to fail. And we have evidence to prove it because when people in, that come from that perspective encounter evolutionary science, it causes problems. So if you want to, if you want to, you know, devote yourself to that perspective, it is, I don't think it's going to work. And if it does work, you're going to end up with people that just don't trust science, which is an, a different problem altogether. I think, uh, uh, so that's sort of a, a fear mongering position. So not one that I would, that I would advocate first, but I, I think it's true that if you stick to that perspective, it's not going to work. What I encourage instead is to, is to take a critical look at scripture because people that come from that perspective of we need to defend against science often have a very high view of scripture. I say, let's take a look at scripture and see what it tells us about uh, our ability to discern God through what God has created. Let's take a critical view of the, um, you know, the views from the psalmists and even you know, some of the New Testament authors that creation is still good, even though it's fallen, it's, it's still good and that God is involved in these processes. If, it, if God is depicted as present and active in all of God's creation, isn't studying God's creation going to put us in touch with who God is? And so I, I, I want to urge people that, that we don't have to put up these walls. We're not, every, not everything is a, is a culture war to, to ask if they honestly think that God is not present in what God's created, 
that a critical examination of the natural world is going to distract us from the creator who brought it into being. And I, I find that that they will eventually come to the realization that that's an, something they told, but it doesn't fit with with who God, with our understanding. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with your approach, doctor, because I think it is the right approach. But this is where I make you both butt shift and uncomfortable because you open the door to uh, this discussion by talking about a high view of scripture. So some high views of scripture are so high, they're bibliolatry. Um, and yeah, people right. have made scripture the fourth member of the Godhead. And so isn't ultimately at the back of this whole dialogue or maybe the the proverbial 800 pound gorilla in the room the idea of inerrancy and how you read scripture isn't that at really the 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 fount of all the controversies and arguments and um after all ken ham says this isn't really about the age of the earth it's about the authority of scripture so yeah. does disciple science plan on tackling that issue in a, an upcoming uh i know that's the third rail really of evangelicalism yeah, yeah. it's a fundamental no. um do you plan no. on tackling that and in your own conversations how do you respond to that and what is your view of scripture yeah no that's a that's a great question and i i agree with you that the people that are holding to a young earth view, it's all because of a certain view of scripture. And that uh, video we made about Copernicus and Galileo was the first of what will be more, more um, videos addressing that question. So, um, I, so I, I agree with you. And I think that in your attempt to, to clarify this again, we are portraying it as, as a, a, what I think is a false dichotomy where that we're saying either we have a high view of scripture with inerrancy or we kind of um, uh, uh, stop returning to scripture for all of this, and uh, and I, you know, stop stop seeking answers in scripture, stop seeking answers in Genesis, so to speak, um, and and I, I don't think that we have to choose. So I actually don't use the word inerrancy very often when I'm talking about my view of scripture. I usually prefer the term that I have a high view of scripture because I think the term inerrancy uh, brings with it a lot of baggage that makes people assume that, you know, certain things like comprehensive inerrancy, that every word of it is, is divinely um, written, basically that humans didn't write it, that it's just God wrote it and they went into a trance and they woke up and they're like, oh, I wonder what I wrote. They, they're not reading it through a historical context or, or just open to any suggestion that it's anything but it's very literal. So when we're wrestling with these evangelical Christians, I don't think we're going to make much headway if we say we need to stop looking to scripture to understand the relationship of science and faith. I think that we are, have much more success in saying, look, the, the view of inerrancy is valid, but it's just not, uh, we need to think about historical inerrancy, scientific inerrancy, and theological inerrancy. And I'm comfortable with the idea that the theology that's conveyed in scripture is inerrant, but I don't think it, it, that scripture is what I, what I call comprehensively inerrant, that everything that it teaches is without flaw 
because as we see in that account of Copernicus and Galileo and Joshua chapter 12, etc., you know, again, we could dig into the, into the uh, nuts and bolts here that scripture was written to teach us science. So I, I prefer to talk about this and frame it for an evangelical audience that just sees scripture as the authority on everything to say we can retain our very high view of scripture without thinking that it's teaching us science. And look, here are these people you respect that hold that view. Billy Graham, John Stott, and N.T. Wright, and J.I. Packer, and the list goes on and on of all of these highly respected theologians who have dedicated their lives to, um, to teaching the Bible well, to say that we don't need to hold those views when we approach the Word of God. So this is my last question, and I'm going to uh, uh, then cede the floor to Christine. But uh, it's usually what we call the tough question, or the it's where I, I uh, speak for the atheist who's been listening. And and um, and so uh, a lot of times you'll see atheists argue against God. And mm -hmm. if I had to give them any advice, I, I I'd say you should you'd be more fruitful arguing against the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, and and here's how I'm going to do that. Even though there's warnings about this in Scripture, I'm I'm. I, it's not my view. I think it's a Christian. It's a question Christians need to be able to answer, and that's this. Um, beginning, uh, you might say, with the divorce between faith and science. Um, if you if you saw a division come in between faith and science, it was astronomy, not biology. It was, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, Galileo and Copernicus is when. The divorce papers were served and the, and the animosity <laughs> began. And so if you look at that event and you say, well, um, where were where did Christians stand on that? And you find out that uh, Luther, not just the Catholic Pope, but Luther and Calvin um, were wrong on that. So the Protestant mm -hmm. world, the Catholic world, virtually all of the Christian world was not only wrong about the science, they were wrong about their interpretation of scripture. So they were wrong about both books, if you want to say. And yeah. some of them were longer, some of them were wrong a lot longer than others. That stretched a couple hundred <laughs> years before the church caught up with the rest of the world on that. Now, if I'm looking at that, and I ask you this question, if the, if the body of Christ or the family of God or the... Uh, or the, uh, a group of believers known as the church has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Scriptures and the mind of Christ, how could they be so wrong so often and so obstinate about things that the world, who doesn't have all that advantages, has already tucked away and moved on from? And it's not just Galileo and Copernicus hundreds of years ago. It's Darwin and modern science um, today. So if, if, if much of the church is wrong about wearing masks and climate science and evolutionary biology, where is the Holy Spirit in all this? And how do you convince somebody who's a skeptic that there's any advantage to the Christian faith? Yeah, that's such a good question and an important one, and one that I wrestle with, if I'm completely honest, because I, I have those same thoughts, you know, even outside of the science and faith dialogue as we wrestle with politics right now. And if we all are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, how do we all have such different convictions about the 
what's the right path for our country or any other question. So he, he, here's my here's my response. Um, in that I, I don't think what the Spirit gives us, I don't think that the Scripture tells us that the Spirit is going to deliver to us perfect theology, or perfect understanding, or perfect interpretation of Scripture. I think that we can we can, we can pray for that, and I think with a with a humble heart we can head in that direction. But what I think Spirit does is it gives us an interaction with God. So what I think the the the, the role of the Spirit in my faith uh, uh, journey of faith is 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 actually softening my heart and opening my heart to other things, not delivering to me perfect understanding or perfect theology. And so I think it's a, a, a it's an excellent question, but I I just I see the role of the Spirit as different, and I think that some of that is rooted in a modernist framework of of certainty and. Um, and I actually think the, the book by Pete Enns, The Sin of Certainty, did more for me um, in, in this realm than anything else. And that the, the goal of Christianity is not to have perfect understanding. Um, and as much, and I think that's part of the tension between science and faith is that we see what science can provide for understanding about the natural world. And our understandings are pretty good. We say, wouldn't it be nice to have that much certainty about God? But when I read the scriptures, what I see is that I'm called to faith in God, not perfect understanding of God. And that my walk with Jesus is about a, a willingness to trust him, not the need to have a perfect understanding of the story of the universe or how the Trinity works or you know what, how to, how to in, perfectly interpret the Bible. I think it's a misunderstanding of what Christianity is. It's not about perfect enlightenment. It is about a willingness to die to ourselves and follow Jesus. And the spirit guides me in that more than I think the spirit delivers to me to perfect understanding. Uh, but with that said, I think that that is um, a really big important question and one that we need to um, we need to take a, a serious look at the way when we talk to people, especially outside of Christian circles, and we claim uh, certainty, uh, you know, it says this in this verse, therefore this is the correct view um, that we, we need to learn a little humility in our, in our search for truth. What practical tips can we do as a family um, mm -hmm. or in a local community uh, to be better stewards of creation um, and you know, maybe just not so wasteful. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I can give you some, some practical tips, um, but even coming back to one of your earlier questions, I think what we need to do is not, well, we do need to change our behavior, but what we need to do, I think, is change our heart. And so I actually think the best opportunity to heal the relationship between God or sorry, between Christians and God's creation is to, is to seek God in creation. And so before we get practical about changing light bulbs and recycling, what, what I encourage people to do is to spend more time outside and maybe uh, you know, read, read the creation account or read Psalm 104 or meditate on 
you know, those passages from the Sermon on the Mount that tell us to look to creation and find God there. Um, and that when we connect with God's creation in an emotional way, we will feel a compulsion to um, take better care of it in a, in a physical, practical way. So, that, so, so that's my, my first very non-practical advice is to just find ways to connect with God through God's creation. And that will not change your mind, it will change your heart. When it comes to practical things, um, you know, holistically, I, I think just people just pay, just pay attention. Think about where does your water come from? Where does your food come from? Where does your water go when you flush it or, or you know, and where, where does your, uh, wh wh where does your energy come from? And so what I would love is for Christians to just have a, a little bit more critical view of their life as consumers and um, be uh, a little bit more open with their hearts and minds to listening to the environmental scientists and conservation biologists that say, you know, what Romans 8 does, that the earth is, is groaning under the, the consequences of sin and that we need to be um, uh, willingness to, to question our, our behaviors and, and maybe modify our lifestyles in subtle ways to do a better job of, of pursuing our first calling, which is taking care of what God created. All right, well, let's start with an icebreaker. What is your favorite right. bird and why? Yeah, well, I am an avian ecologist, so I love them all, but um, my specific research is in woodpeckers, and so I have a special affinity for all woodpeckers. But I think actually my, my truly my favorite bird is this odd little gray bird that lives in high mountain streams up in the Rockies. It's called an American Dipper. And it's just tough as nails. It lives in the water all year round, around to the summer and winter, walks along the bottom of the stream, eating bugs off the, the rocks. And some, something about it, it's just not only it's kind of an interesting looking bird, but it just lives in such a wonderful place. And it's something that's delightful and brings me joy. So I'll have to default to the American Dipper. All right. Well, we have some kind of woodpecker that likes to peck at our deck. <laughs> when I tell people I study woodpeckers, that's the typical response. How do I keep them off my house? Uh, which right. is an unfortunate consequence of their, yeah, they do like to dig through people's siding and stuff. It can be a real nuisance. But Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. We believe that integrating science with Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. And we produce this podcast and our animated videos and our live videos, everything we do to help you connect with God through God's creation. We are a nonprofit. We're based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we are fully crowdfunded. So everything we do is dependent on you and your generous support. And we are continuing with our end of the year fundraising push, and we would greatly appreciate uh, your donations to help us make more videos in the winter and spring. Uh, if you want to help in other ways, we would appreciate, of course, uh, liking and sharing our videos and our podcast and uh, posting comments, all those sorts of things help people find our resources. And so uh, I want to, as always, thank my associates at Disciple Science, Caleb Davis, for uh, the music and, of course, Brianna Lindgren, who does so much of our animation 
and the board of directors and all of the team at Disciple Science that have made this year a success. Uh, we're excited about what's happening here and we're looking forward to 2021. If, depending on when you hear this, I also just uh, briefly wish you a Merry Christmas. This season of Advent and anticipation of the celebration of the birth of Jesus is just one of my favorite times of year. Uh, I love the winter. I love the Christmas season. I love the time with family. And I love the story of the incarnation of Jesus coming down to this earth to teach us and to reveal to us the story of the gospel. Uh, have a wonderful Christmas. God bless. We'll talk again soon.